And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. On today's episode, we are talking about a topic that um, I always love talking to Dr. Trek about, um, and this is gatekeeping. We're going to explore all things changing fandom and good, bad, and ugly, and how we've seen examples of gatekeeping within Star Trek, as well as in the yes. fandom. Larry, I'm, I'm so excited I to am too, and just for anyone that's watching today, that's not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, we're not talking to all you fence, you antique fence collectors. Okay. <laughs> no, that's a very different kind of gatekeeping. That's a very um, different kind of gatekeeping, yes. I, I, I totally encourage you to watch old episodes of Antique Roadshow on PBS if you're interested in that. Um, you won't be getting that from Life Support uh, today. So if this is your first time here at Life Support, welcome. Um, so great to see you here. This is a show where uh, Larry and I, we, we have a lot of fun talking about mental health, talking about Star Trek, talking about how it can help us get through this very weird, wacky world we're in. Um, despite the the difficulty of this topic, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it, and we want to hear from you. Uh, so you can join the show in many different ways. You mm -hmm. can comment below. Um, uh, we will put your comments on the screen. Thank you, uh, Rebecca, for letting us know. Larry's on the left. Uh, my right. <laughs> uh, very helpful to know this thing. Welcome, Tim. So you can, just like that, you can comment whether you're watching on YouTube through The Psych Show, you're watching on Facebook through Trekland, or on Twitch, wherever you are. Comment. We're going to engage with you. Or Larry. even, yes, we've got, and we both now, technically, we both have both our Facebook and our YouTube channels going live. Mm. But hey, I'm all set to see how we do on Twitch today. It's always the Twitch drama every week. But I like being there because you never know who's going to take a break from gaming and come over and maybe pick up some hints for daily living you know um, and we know there's a big launch happening there's a big space yes. event um i tried to figure out if i could put the feed of the launch here um so you all can watch both at the same time i couldn't figure that out it's beyond my pay grade i really needed uh, a chief engineer to make that happen and i just like barely passed that course in the academy so um feel free to watch both and let us know what's happening because i can't watch both i don't know um <laughs> Um, Some people can be by screener, screener, yeah, but yeah. I, yeah. I can't. Well, if I do that too, my bandwidth might go down and then you all might not see us as well. So, um, minimize or maximize whoever you want. And as stuff is happening, let us know because Larry and I, you know, our subspace transmissions are, are held up a little bit right over here. But if you'd like to join the show, you can also 
Skype in. So, um, in the top, ooh, there it is. No, no, there it is right there. In the top right hand corner is our handle on Skype, Life Support Live Host. You can join the show there. We'd love to talk to you or see you. You can join us. You could be the third box on right. Life Support Live. So we'd, oh, we can, we'd we'll make room for you. Because I do want to say, uh, as much as we're all interested in the space launch, hopefully, some of you are joining us uh, later, and the launch will be history, and what we're seeing right now may be uh, you know, a lot of fun, but also hopefully some help right now. I'd uh, love we're, to laughing about, we're laughing about gatekeeping, but it's not a, it's not a um, laughing matter to a lot of people. Coming I, I'd, I'd love to, for this episode to be history, too, in the future, that like, yes. gatekeeping, what was that? Oh, wow, they did that? That's silly. Well, that's, you know, that's not a term <laughs> that I don't, I've only heard that term the last, you know, two or three years, sadly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as probably a lot of other terms I'd never heard before yeah. until the last couple of years. Yeah. So, um, uh, Clayton says, I've been bouncing back and forth between the Dragon Launch and YouTube. Yes. Oddly enough, YouTube is showing Trekland Tuesday's title between YouTube. Well, we're also on Trekland Tuesday. Wait, well, we're not on Trekland. <laughs> no, it's not what Tuesday. he means is he's watching on my YouTube and I didn't change the title. Uh, so don't be thrown, everybody. Please don't be we'll, thrown. We'll fix that in <laughs> post. Um, so Larry, we, you and I, um, when we first met, when we first met, this was a topic that came up um, in our conversation, and I loved that conversation so much, so much so that every oh. time I see you in person, I kind of bring it up again, just because I love <laughs> talking about this. You try to gatekeep me in person, just to. Do... <laughs> I want to. I want to just. Uh, I want to soak up this conversation as much as I can. Like in the Starfleet T-shirt. Thank you, Tim. I thought for this episode, what better thing to emphasize than the founding of the Federation and the coming together of people? So thank you for that. Um, the reason why we're talking about this today is, you know, this so this show, Life Support Live, it's about thriving and bettering ourselves in this situation and in this climate and so many of us the only way we have to connect is is this is online is social media is maybe video if we're lucky and a lot of these problems of gatekeeping have really exploded on these mediums over the last few years they've always been there but the intensity of them have exploded. So we thought, let's talk about these patterns because they've happened before. They're happening again with Picard and Discovery and backlash around who's in charge and what they're Ali, doing. Yeah. Can I stop you one second? Please, to say, always. One, welcome. And we're, we're going to keep an eye on the – I want to say, I'm going to say this over and over and over again. Hey, everybody in Twitch, although nobody's popping up yet. We're talking to a lot of people <laughs> on Facebook and on YouTube both, right? So just bear with us. But we've got uh, people coming in from India yep. right now. And also our friend Dan says, hey, what's gatekeeping? It might be helpful for newbies to define. How how would you – Yeah, that's <laughs> – many years ago, Larry, I did a whole uh, panel at uh, Mission New York about um, – fandom across the decades and we got to the q a and then someone asked well why are you all fans of star trek and we all looked at each other and then we like we we didn't answer that question because this was a partner of someone who came to the convention and wanted an answer to that and i thought wow how did i not answer the most basic question larry we we spent two hours yesterday talking about this episode we did not define it um i'm curious how how would you define it uh, 
well, this is this is going to be the subject of the K3 factor later on, so everybody stay tuned. And by the way, um, we, we actually do have a structure to this show, everybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're in chatting with us, we're ramping up. We are – obviously, we're talking okay. about uh, – We're going to yes. start the briefing room. Let's, let's get that started. How about we start the structure and start the briefing room? No, <laughs> yeah, good call. But let's, let's get briefed on today's topic, including yeah. defining what it is before yep. we – uh, get into the counselor's log and then uh, the real doctor here among us and maybe some of mine um, will have some points for you on the away mission today to take with you, but on your own away mission. But no, Gig, um, uh, I say it's a term I didn't hear, but the concept has been around. Basically, I, I used to think of it even more benignly as a form of like snobbery, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's basically... Because this is such an alien thing to me. I just want everybody to have fun. I want everybody everybody go find what it is that you enjoy and run with that. And we all have different flavors. I was never a big relationship person, which didn't mean I didn't I wasn't, you know, enough to to enjoy the relationships, the characters. I know today it's shipping. Today, if you say shipping to me, I always think of big boxes on a dock. Okay, I can't. Get <laughs> That's that. a very different thing than what shipping. It's means. a very Sorry. different thing, but. If you want to say shipping, that's okay with me. But I, you know, we all have different stripes and flavors that bring us to Star Trek. Mine was history and canon and world building and all of that. But I think sometimes in our passion for our passion pit here of Star Trek, people get so passionate about it. And then what's what's related to passion, Mr. Real PhD? Like there's it's weird how the other side of the coin can be fear. Yeah, and then that can lead the da- to 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 uh, anger when people feel threatened. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to something that leads to suffering. And that leads to crossing the streams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Ali does bad impressions week two. Week two. No, what I'm saying is the concept's been there, even though we didn't have fancy like so much of Star Trek modern today. We didn't have fancy labels for it in the old days, but it was there. And to me, it was always a form of you know, misguided snobbery, like I have to feel better than you. But that's the core of it. Some people have an insecurity. Maybe it's their passion run amok. I would like to think that you can talk them back down off the sh- off the ledge, you know, yeah. with it. But it's basically saying, well, my you don't ha- you're not a real fan or what you're what attracts you is not really the real thing. Um, that's the real thing going on here. And I have the secret. You don't. And either you're worthless or, you know, Oh, go away and, and study some more and come back later when you're a real fan yeah. or whatever form it takes. That just may, give me a flashback to the episode where Data was 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 uh, trying to do that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, uh, Larry. Yeah. I think there's there's a spectrum of the intensity of it from what might be more benign and misguided uh, to very uh, bullying exclusion, really trying to hurt people. And I I think at the core, it's about limiting access to a group, to a idea, to a community, and also excluding other people, making them feel unwelcome. Um, And then at the extreme... Less than. um, Less than, yeah. At the extreme, it's more about persecuting, discriminating against, all of that kind of stuff. And we have seen all shapes and forms of that throughout the history of Star Trek. I mean, most recently... The franchise that is supposedly based on diversity. And it is. It is. 
Yeah, infinite diversity and, and celebrating infinite combinations. the combinations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to dive into that about, about why this might be. Uh, Rebecca knew it would be logged before the impressions. I know you're here for it. Um, apparently, that's the thing I do. Um, yes, if Tim, I, I realize now I got the Yoda quote wrong. Um, yeah. If you're diving in there, we've got four Budapest just saying hi from Paris, France. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing about this fandom. That's what I love so mm-hmm. much about it is we're from all over and there's so many, there's so many ways in to Star Trek and to the community. Um, but Larry, I want to talk to you about that first conversation you had, you and I had about gatekeeping and, um, wow, you've got me, Ali. You refresh me. Oh, Star Trek 2009. Um, this was the, uh, J. J. Abrams directed Star Trek. Um, I don't want to call it a reboot, but a a launch of a parallel universe. What now has been um, called the Kelvin timeline, with um, with uh, Nero going back in time, uh, Nimoy's uh, Spock, Spock Prime going back in time, creating this different universe where we have a new cast. Things look different. History has been changed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things there that are so very uh, different. We had this. Um, we, Who knew a Romulan miner could do so much? Yeah, we have um, the destruction of of, of uh, Vulcan. We mm-hmm. see um, we see Spock um, uh, live out the rest of his life. In this universe, we see um, a brand new origin for Kirk and Spock's relationship. We see um, uh, George Kirk die in um, in father. that story. Yeah, his father. Um, uh, we do see. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Um, the Enterprise is being built on Earth. That was a big point of contention. But then also this cast and the, the, the feeling of it, a lot of fans were uh, quite upset. And the way this maps onto gatekeeping is we saw in the years that followed fans of the 2009 film or Star Trek Into Darkness, um, maybe Star Trek Beyond too, although uh, Beyond, I think that we experienced less of this. People were saying, well, you can't, you, you watch that and you call yourself a Star Trek fan. You're not a Star Trek fan. Let me, let me, let me quiz you here a little bit. You know, what, um, how many enterprises are there? Yeah, you know, and you can kind of, you can go down that path, but uh, Star Trek 2009 was very, uh, as Jean Luc Picard would say, divisive. Well, yes. Well, here's a couple things going on here. Number one, it's, it was very easy to be divisive. Well, here we, we've, we've said many times, the, the protection of history, the rosy glasses of yesterday protect a lot of people mm-hmm. from remembering that we've had that point many times. There was a lot of divisiveness going in, not so much the, the first movie, because the whole point of early fandom was to get Star Trek back. And so the motion picture, however people come to it with modern eyes and first time eyes in the day, was all about uh, vindicating this whole reunion, this whole revival effort was worth it. Yeah, And it was, and the Wrath of Khan, that whole, well, that's more like it, kind of for, for once then kind of put the motion picture in a lesser place. But at the time, everybody was all about that. But from the motion picture, from the Wrath of Khan on, we'd had this feeling. We, it was even around before then, but, oh, yeah. but um, 
you know, it was like, cause I, I could, I didn't like parts of where the, the Reagan 80s Star Trek was going with the, with the marching maroons, but it was setting up to be that way and people had little divisions, but the big one was the next generation. Anytime you're re-gearing Star Trek for people that, that knew it before and also maybe sat with it for many years, you know, in the, in a fallow time. And then next generation comes back, and today we think, well, next generation is holy ground. Right. But no, we talked about this before. There was a big reaction. Star Trek is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Who are these interlopers? Who is this bald French guy? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. You know. But right. each time, DS9, we and we've mentioned this, but he, it's not just about. Yes, there you go. Yeah. He's supposed there, to be French, and he's that's, not even French. That's not my captain. That's, That's not, not my, my captain. Job. My captain is this handsome, young, swashbuckling from Iowa. Yeah, 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 from <laughs> Iowa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Corn fed. Come on, damn it. Um, no. So each each time there's been a gap. Each time there's been an iteration. There's been a little bit of a eh factor from people, and sometimes you know. And plus, it's it's a real it's a real fact that every Star Trek is such a complex machine. That it takes a while to get up and going smoothly. And yeah, a lot of times the flaws, you know, the flaws or the, the growing pains are evident, whether it's Next Generation's first couple of seasons or DS9's first couple of seasons or Voyager or Enterprise or the Kelvin movies and Discovery, uh, you know, all in the line. So it, it's kind of baked in the cake, but it's the double-edged sword uh, or the, double, the two sides of the coin that people, if people didn't care about this show it wouldn't be around for 50 years and, and bouncing back from so many low places. It should, by all rights, it should have been a dead little three-year show out of yeah. 60s American TV before yeah. there were real reruns and syndication. But it keeps pioneering and latching onto people and those, and, and it keeps latching, it keeps, you know, embedding into people. Uh, it makes itself loved because of all its inherent hooks. But those tend to be things on the cutting edge. Like every iteration tends to be something on the cutting edge where it's not recognized by the powers that be. And so there's a fan base that's defending it. But at the same time, that same hook in the next time it comes around is the very thing that can, can lead to people being splintered, can lead to this high, impossibly high bar. People are thinking about it. Now we've got this modern situation where people are remembering they came to the original series now we've got the generation that came to next generation as kids and it's not just that it's star trek it's hopelessly tied up maybe when life was much better when they were when they were younger you know yeah, and they yeah. love that or they shared it with a family member and the family members passed on or there's something that where the emotion is tied into the factual. We're, we should, we, we're going to have to get into this. We're, we're, so we're going to get to it, Larry. I mean, there's so it, many reasons why people look at the new crop coming along and they're not inherently saying you're too young. You don't get this, but there's, there's like a protection. There's like a defensive and it's, well, there's so many, and I know I'm on a roll here. We're also reflecting the bigger culture here in this trend we have toward tribalism. And let's hurry up and cure that while we're at it too. Um, there's uh, there's so much so much happening here, Larry. Um, yeah. well, first off, we're 
three, uh, three minutes down to uh, to liftoff on SpaceX. Um, thank you. Rebecca has given us updates. This is super helpful, Rebecca. I feel like I'm following along. Thank you. Um, and I, I think, Larry, there's no character that better epitomizes everything we're talking about than Spock. You know, it you is go. impossible to compare decades of memories of Leonard Nimoy's Spock. Mm. Now you could also call Spock Prime with Zachary Quinto's Spock with um, which was a big budget major motion picture tentpole event like the stakes are incredibly different there um, Star Trek 2009 and Into Darkness had to work for a mass audience they put in a ton of money into that global global audience, audience which mm-hmm. means it's going to be a very different interpretation of Star Trek than the original series, than um, The Next Generation, and then those crew's films. I love the Star Trek films, but they were never really tentpole movies. Maybe the motion picture, you can make an argument, was an attempt at making a tentpole movie, Paramount's answer to Star Wars, mm-hmm. and it didn't really work. It was, it was, it worked as a great Star Trek story. I love the story, but it's not a tentpole mass audience appeal movie it's not jaws it's not jurassic park it's not star wars star trek 2009 was an attempt at that and now we have um our new start uh, a new spock actor on star trek discovery um ethan peck am i remembering his name That's it? yes yeah. yes Who's doing a very Greg, different Gregory Peck's grandson? Yes. Oh my gosh! When I found yeah. that, I was like, I was like, what? The first thing I thought was, oh my god, Atticus Finch's grandson. Is <laughs> like Spock. How awesome is that? Yes. So Spock is not only related to Atticus Finch, but also related to Sherlock Holmes. Um, fantastic! Uh, what a character. Uh, SpaceX in one minute, all fuel oxidizers on. Uh, Rebecca. Um, oh, I didn't even mention but um in honor of spacex i have my nasa mug oh you Um, did yeah yeah i saw sts 125 um the mission to repair hubble um that was i fulfilled a lifelong dream to see a space shuttle launch so um i uh i'm I'm having a lot of positive memories of being being back there um spacex go for launch my gosh larry it's happening um this is this is happening um alive no i i had to fight my wife i when i was at houston i got her a failure is not an option mug and i had to fight her for it this morning so i'm (laughs) did you lose the battle uh yes i lost the battle (laughs) but i'll win the war no um spacex in 15 seconds um you know larry with everything that's been happening um this week um it's yes it is so um um, this is, uh, oh my gosh, lift off, lift mm-hmm. off, lift off. Lift off at the top of the hour. Lift, yeah. And oh we are gosh. watching history here. Yes. Thank you. I was about to do that and mine's being slow. Oh, my focus. Come on, focus, focus on, on the video. There we go. Um, mm-hmm. America's return to space, launching humans into space for the first time, um, mm-hmm. since a space shuttle mission ended, uh, Ah, Larry, it's a little emotional to see that. We have to watch for throttle up, but yes, that'll, I'll never forget that. Uh, well, here we go. We've got a little, we've had it. Yeah. You know, my, I'm so torn when I do any live show because I'm torn between the live moment and hopefully having it be worthwhile for people to find it archived, especially now on YouTube. Yeah. So on one hand, hi, everybody later on. This was the day that we launched 
<laughs> SpaceX, but it's also been a really rough week in in you know in cultural issues, social issues oh. with all the racial turmoil out of Minnesota. I mean, on on a very visceral level right now, it's like 1968. We have two assassinations, yes. we have riots, we have effort. Yes. We end with Apollo 8 circling the moon, you know, and it was like a piece of history, a piece of cosmos, it, Star cosmic Trek. view, and it's like we've always. Try to find some good even when we're having our darkest times. What, and what Star Trek gave us in the 60s was this hope that humanity will get through this very difficult decade. And, and we did. And it also gives me hope that, um, that, you know, this is why I wear this shirt. This is why I'm a fan of this. This is why we make the shows. I do believe out of this conflict, we can build a better world. And we're going to talk about that as we get into it. And next week, I think we're, we, we might explore uh, prejudice and racism and what um, how Star Trek views these things and how we can do something to better ourselves. Um, so we're going to explore that. Larry, let's get back to gatekeeping. My gosh, so much stuff right, right. happening. Um, well, so much stuff is happening, and we've got great chats. I want to just say oh we've got gosh. some more YouTubers coming in. Heather Hernandez is saying... Um, she says there is so much this isn't real Star Trek, and to a degree in my shame, I was part of that. Mm. You, you know, sometimes what we just said, the bigger picture, a lot, so much of the time I want to believe, and you just mentioned like prejudice. I, a lot of this is a spectrum, but it's a very big spectrum, and they're connected, but it's a long way getting from there to here. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people very innocently fall into the trap of gatekeeping out of their passion. Right. And I and they have blinders on, and they may not realize what's happening until it happens to them, or when someone points it out. And that's wonderful. That's what it looks like Heather has realized. Sometimes we're just young, and we haven't. I try to remember a lot of people I encounter, especially online, maybe younger. They haven't lived much life experience, and I'm not putting them down for being young, but they haven't been out in the bumps and grinds of the world, and maybe they don't have a lot of empathy for people coming from where they are. So. I always try to take a breath and, you know, search people out a little bit. And that's a skill to do. But, you know, we have that gatekeeping leads to, um, I don't know, um, we were talking about this last night. But of the far end of this bumpy, bumpy road is, yeah. you know, prejudice, which is a much more hardcore baked, baked in problem. Yeah. I still want to think it's not without, you know, redemption. But but it's, yeah. And But here we are. So good on you, Heather, for looking, being able to go, oh. Yes, and people looking back and and seeing maybe think maybe a viewpoint maybe with a little passage of time they can and a lot of people were talking about the Kelvin movies a lot of people I had a moment like that fairly close in I didn't want to be the old man on the yard screaming at the kids but <laughs> I didn't know how to turn my heart around and I found the things to appreciate which is yeah. the key to this yeah like, what can I, you appreciate about it you know you know I I gotta say I um. I love the 2009 film so much because um, yeah, I grew up, uh, The Next Generation was my in. No, well, Star Trek Six was my in, which led me to The Next Generation. And from there, I just devoured everything. Um, I became a fan as uh, The Next Generation was ending. So I watched all good things as it aired. And um, for me, what I loved about the 2009 film is it was so cool 
to see so much money pumped into Star Trek to mm-hmm. see what does it look like as a modern uh, tentpole movie. A tentpole, if you don't are familiar with the term, it's a movie that is supposed to hold, make so much money that it keeps the studio afloat. That it um, it, it holds up the pull of the whole studio's tent for the year that there's a lot of gambles the studio might make if this mo- if this movie is going to make money if the studio is going to make money but there's always a tent pull that you know is going to be a success and for that year star trek 2009 was a tent pull for paramount one of their many uh tent poles and so for me i just love to see a fresh different take of star trek on screen but for me it was a beginning and it had to be a beginning where you had where you had a, a Star Trek elder person in the form of Leonard Nimoy Spock handing off the torch to a new crew. But it was a beginning that needed to be paid off over the course of subsequent films. And while there's a lot I really love about Star Trek Into Darkness, my struggle and my outrage was more about Khan being uh, not being in the film although i don't think he needed to be but um being recast as a white man a white actor from england who's playing a south asian actor who i know is originally played by a latino actor too um but as a south asian so male that managed to malign two ethnic groups there <laughs> Right. <laughs> at least, um, at least the original actor was a, a person of color, so that that frustrated me. Um, but you know, there's there's parts of it that um, that I can take that I love, that I enjoy, and parts of it that are really frustrating to me. And Larry, uh, we would be doing a disservice if we weren't talking about gatekeeping within Star Trek stories as well, because we've seen it there. Um, we see it to a very small degree in Star Trek 2009, where um, uh, Zachary Quinto, Quinto Spock gets a little bit of pushback about being um, half-human in the Vulcan mm-hmm. Academy. He's still admitted, so it's not really gatekeeping, <laughs> but um, he gets a little bit of that pushback. Those Vulcans aren't so damn perfect as we think No, they no, they aren't. And we see that again in, um, in <laughs> Enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. The Vulcans are really playing this role of gatekeepers that we know better than you that um you don't understand you don't quite belong we're going to hold things back from you and in some ways we aren't even going to trust you to do this by yourself we're going to send a representative of of our own we saw gatekeeping there and then you see it a little bit in deep space nine when nog wants to enlist in starfleet and captain cisco's first response is really you starfleet i don't think so for See, and, yeah, we had this discussion, too. All of those, you could say, verge on a bias, verge on a prejudice, but it's like they're not coming from a... This is what I mean. They're not coming from a place of... It's like an unexamined prejudice, which is, I guess, you know, it's not a... It's not a weaponized prejudice. It's not we're coming for... You know, the Vulcans would say, hey, we're not shooting at you. We're trying to do you a mm-hmm. favor here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, you know, you get to that point of... Well, thanks for, you know, thanks for the favors. Boy, with friends like you, who needs enemies? I mean, it's one of those, it's that <laughs> spectrum, right? And sometimes you have to, you know, even when somebody knows you and you have to prove yourself, or sometimes they have your interests at heart. But, yeah, we're looking at some broad brush painting here. And I know the, I know the chat room's going crazy. But what, you know, we think of gatekeeping right in the moment as, I, you know, some two people, one-to-one, face-to-face, 
and we're kind of getting into it here. Somebody, um, Clayton here on YouTube, saying gatekeeping is a modern version of the old trucker trucker oddity. It's basically feeling that you're a real fan and the newbie isn't. Yeah. And it is, it is, it is not a generational thing, but it is a, you know, how many brownie points, how many merit badges do you have kind of in the mix? And he's saying goth culture has goth points, which I, I had no <laughs> idea about, but I instantly get it. I don't know where the goth, ma- how to be a goth manual is. But I'm sure it's out there floating around. And a lot of, you know, it's hard to find, again, a passion point. I'm sure yeah. the ladies, every other Thursday quilt guild has, you know, <laughs> if you watch the old movie State Fair and the women are like doing their, the homemakers are doing their, you know, their, their peach preserves in the, you know, and whatever it is, wherever people are like competing and they're comparing and, but there's also the look down. Eh, and people yeah. have to earn, you know, sometimes it's like, I have to earn my stripes and it's a heroic saga. But sometimes it's just coming out of misplaced. But in our here and now, it's it's especially ironic with Star Trek because Star Trek is supposed to be, as we said, the home of etic and tolerance, and yet we have this creeping intolerance. Maybe not huge, you know, whole scale prejudice on that hardcore end of the spectrum again, but this creeps in and and sadly i think a lot of people fall into that trap and they're not thinking about it rebecca has a great point here i'm going to put it back up um you mentioned cisco's response to nog and that's what it was like being a female fan in the 90s Mm. and what what so frustrates me about this um rebecca not not that doesn't frustrate me your comment is right on here what's frustrating to me about this experience and i'm so sorry you experienced this is we have Everything, everything that we have about Star Trek, we have to thank a community of mm-hmm. women who saved Star Trek. It's, they were the original uh, people who, um, who who formed the letter writing campaigns, who organized the conventions. I mean, Larry, you're going to talk about this in K3, I think, but... Um, uh, this is something that you've helped me to understand the real Star Trek uh, history of fandom. It's, it's women who made this all happen. It was, it was, it was kind of a realization that, that was interesting to get to in the nineties. But what really got me was as the comic con, the broad based geek culture exploded and, and, and kind of blended together. And at the comic cons now, you didn't just have the comic character, like Hollywood brought the bucks to comic cons on both, you know, for fans and for vendors and studios and game, you know, game companies and all of that. But, and that's where it got on the map and became a money thing. So now it's a big thing and people respect it. And every chamber of commerce wants to come upon their town where the geeks used to have to stay in the closet, right? So there's positives here. But at the same time, there was a funny time there 15, 20 years ago where I pushed my red alert where people were, you know, anime is so female. Uh, I don't say dominated, but you know, it's, there's such a big female faction in anime, and all of that started blending over to superhero, to sci-fi, to Star Wars, to Star Trek. Harry Potter brought all that in too, and so when you had the big mixing tank of, um, the big melting pot of fandom in, uh, in a Comic Con venue, not just, you know, here's our little specialized Trek Con. All these people thinking, wow, look at all these, oh, look, it's the geek girl revolution. Oh, how good. And you know, people feeling good about it. But it was completely misplaced notion that it was a free thing. What I would go, excuse me, guys, we have modern, well, you have your Comic-Con fandom today culture, thanks to Star Trek, which is my K3 factor today. I keep, this is the most Ballyhoo K3 factor. Do you want to do, do you want to do a time, time jump here? We can jump forward to K3 and then jump back. 
I don't know. So <laughs> since we got off on this bit, and thank you again, Rebecca. We're, we're jumping okay. to K3. We're, Let's we're just in go it, right Larry. to the K3 factor, which again is named for the only clue toward mental health we could find as a takeaway from the original series, the icon there, the K3 indicator on the biobed monitor, which they didn't even call a biobed in the original series. It was the, you know, the life scans monitor screen above the sick bay bed. Anyway, um, what's funny is we're talking about gatekeeping, right? And we're all thinking about it in terms, and I'm so far behind looking at the chat, guys. Uh, I'll catch up here in a second when Ali takes it. But we're talking about I'm better than you because, or you're not up to spec. I'm representing the entire culture, and you're not quite there, Padawan. You're not there, cadet, you know, kind of a thing. Even if it's said benignly, you're you're just now stepping out with your big whoop-de-doo Warp 5 engine, guys. We'll take care of you here in the big bad galaxy. <laughs> Trust us. Even when it's coming from a place of, you know, what's funny is in the uh, the, the franchise that's all about diversity, in the one that we now have these internal discussions about gatekeeping, the whole Star Trek fandom phenomenon that led to Comic-Con culture across the board that's the granddaddy franchise of them all. It all began as an act of gatekeeping. As the victim. As the one aggrieved. Yeah. This, we have, this, when I heard this, I was like, what, yeah, Larry? What yeah. used to happen. Now, when I was, yeah, when I was, um, this, there was a little bit of this going on in mainstream lit fandom. Okay, we had, look, we've had science fiction conventions have been around as a thing since the 30s. What we call first fandom when the first world cons were, you know, you talk about geeky. Talk about in the closet. That was, a re you know, there were even as many closets back then. Uh, <laughs> so, like, right before World War II, the first World Cup, 37, 38, was, was there. Goes along. Media sci-fi is, well, you know, bug-eyed monster. If they even have a budget to attempt it, you've either got Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and cheesy rockets on strings with spitzy, you know, whatever, bad, bad effects. But it's what they're doing. It's what they're able to do at the time. It's this, you know, it commands the respect to match a budget they're spending on it. You have a breakout, you have your forbidden planet, you know, you have a day the earth stood still a couple of times, but for the most part, movie science fiction is, and TV, you know, forget it. You've got the little, you know, uh, Captain Video and, and all of that on TV. Twilight Zone's a standout, it's an anthology. Basically, until Star Trek came along, there was nothing to respect about media science fiction. And science fiction, everybody thought of it as books and movies and pulp magazines. That was the serious science fiction. Yes, uh, that's serious science fiction. Yeah, the books, TV science uh, fiction was it was junk for kids. Yes, yes. It, yeah, it was kiddie stuff. Yeah. And even authors, even hardcore science fiction people winced at the idea of taking a novel, taking an Asimov, taking a Heinlein, yeah. and making a movie out of it, because they thought, inevitably, it's going to be trash, it'll be low-budget, you know, don't take my book and ruin it with a movie. Yeah. was the whole attitude, until Star Trek. And boom, you lit the match, and we know what happened. Yeah. Star Trek lit this match, exploded this entire fan movement enough to finally, yes, bring this dead little three-year-old failed show back to life, because... And, and the rest of the world watching on is everything was like, this had never happened before. That's why Star Trek was about. all these things had never happened before. And they led to demands. We needed an Internet before we had an Internet. You know, what's amazing is at the core of all of it, when that fandom blows up, Star Trek instantly goes from, wow, this is cool. There's finally going to be a decent sci fi show on TV to um, 
um, okay, these, these Trek people, it's like they're taking over. <laughs> wow. Okay. This is cool, guys. But in the, you know, like the passion of the moment, like I think they literally saw it as like a Beatles moment, you know, or an Elvis moment where it was kind of like, okay, this is very cool right here in 68 and 69, 70. But you guys really, there was a lot of gatekeeping. There was a lot of, have you ever read the classics? Do you know yeah, your Asimov and Heinlein? Do you, the rooms, and, the places where yes. fans of Star Trek could gather, they were being excluded because they were Star Trek fans, because they weren't serious they science fiction fans They of weren't literature. serious. They yeah. hadn't earned their stripes. Yeah. And, that, you know, and a lot of this was a lot of paternal tisking. It was like, yeah. that's cool, guys. Glad you're here. This is awesome. But you really need to go, you know, and they're like, okay, fine. But I'm, and people were so passionate and burned up with excitement about the thing. That's not what they wanted to hear. There were so many layers of everything to get into on their own. That's, you know, the, the zine, the fan fiction movement was coming out of that for really for them. And basically what happened was after two or three years of this old school LitCon fandom, what I came to call a LitCon snobbery <laughs> or snobcons, they all basically said, why don't, you know what, why don't you guys just go off and have your own conventions? Yeah. Like, leave us alone, stop, you know, polluting. If you're not going to grow up, if you're not going to be serious about the craft, Jason, oh, there's a deep cut for you. We just watched <laughs> Galaxy Quest the other day. You were never serious about the craft, Jason. Um, if I'll explain it. No, so they basically said, go off and just do your own thing. Don't don't keep polluting us. Don't keep dragging us down with your numbers that are going to like drown us out. And they did. And we kind of know what happened when they started. You know, within a couple of years, the New York the New York Trek cons, the the pioneering ones, were getting more people, way more people than Worldcon, yep. the big science fiction con of the year, wherever it happened to be. You know, it traveled. So and and of course the New York Star Trek conventions are what set us down the path toward media conventions, which is what lit people used to say. Oh, it's a media con. The guests are all actors. There's no authors there, and that was a media con. And I experienced that when I was when I was first a fan. We had to go off and start. Um, I had a I had a chance to bring one of the Star Trek staff in as basically a free guest in Oklahoma City. And our group, who was I thought would be excited about this, they're like, well, okay, well, we don't have a budget to do. I said, okay, we'll fundraise. All they want is their air ticket. We'll, you know, we're not a fee. It's not an actor thing. We'll do this. But they're an insider. They'll bring all this stuff. Okay, well, because um, they were all concerned about their LitCon world resume, and they didn't want real Lit fans seeing them having. I, I kid you not, a media guest. So here's the bottom line. Okay, we can have him, but we can't put it on the flyer. Mm-hmm. It's like what? We'll have hundreds of people come. It's you know. Anyway, that's that was the gatekeeping I saw, and then there within two or three years, it was that same effect. Why? Why are you guys getting fifteen hundred people, and we can only get five hundred? It's like because it's a TV show, and <laughs> Larry, it's called. I'm gonna broadcast. put up the the image you shared with me. Can you uh, walk us through yeah. what, what we're seeing here? So John Winston was the. CB, she was the, like a mainstream fan. She had a, she had a life, thank you. She was a, a young, in her twenties, uh, 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 executive at ABC, I want to say, but she was a huge Star Trek fan. She, you know, in the guise of being professional, came from New York out to LA in 69, in early 69, and was on the set, very famously wrote about it, of the Star Trek original set 
the week they were filming Turnabout Intruder, <laughs> but also got the word that they were canceled. Mm. And she very famously wrote about that in a chapter of in a book called Make uh, Star Trek Lives. She came back and wrote that. And then she wrote another chapter about making the first convention because she was in New York and was on the committee. Mm-hmm. And, and that book is her book about making those first four amazing uh, New York conventions. She doesn't really get into this factor. It's more just the goofy stories that happen. But I put that up there. And also the cartoon that was with it. Can you flash it again? Yeah, I am. Because the whole point of early Star Trek fandom was the first, the first convention was there. See that? They're all screaming in the door. Yeah. The first, the first point about Star Trek was not that, oh, here's a dead show that there's thousands of, was they planned a convention for 500 and 3000 showed up. Right, right, right. And then it just grew every year after that. And that was part of the lore and the legend of, you know, so, the original gatekeeping, if not for gatekeeping, they wouldn't have told those original Star Trek fans to go, why don't you guys just go start your own thing and don't keep polluting ours? And, you know, the the, the child immediately outgrew the parent, <laughs> as it were. So anyway, I, I didn't even think about it that way until that. But yes, I had experienced gatekeeping, but it wasn't my reaction to it was, okay, fine. You know, and not like, uh, I'll show you. Uh, it's like, fine. If that's the game and if that's the rules... We'll just outplay you. And I'll still love you, but we'll just outplay you because in my gut, I know what's going to happen. And it's what happened. And, you know, that's we, we're going to get into uh, hopefully strategies for the aggrieved and we're, the... Uh, we're going we're gonna to bounce back in time, back to yeah. the briefing room, because there's back, a couple of things... Back back let's go back, because there's a couple of things... Uh, Sorry for indulging me, everybody, but no, I just... I mean, it's, yeah. this, is, this is why I think it's so interesting, and this is why I think of uh, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica. All of this has happened before, and all of this will happen again, because um, there's... We see these same patterns happen over and over, and one of the things that we know is uh, there is a in-group out-group process that we we love our groups and we dislike other groups even when people are randomly assigned to groups in through social psychology experiments they will like the group they're in and dislike other groups so there's some fundamental tribal stuff here and we'll get into more of this in, mm-hmm. when we get to the counselor's log here but um so much of this to me, Larry, and this is why I want to go back to the briefing room. So much of this gets back to what is Star Trek for you? Because right. something that you and I were talking about in our pre-show is Star Trek is exploration. It's science. It's technology. It's optimism. It's adventure. It's world building. It's, it's this expansive continuity. It's about these relationships. It's about, um, <laughs> It's about so many, there's so many hooks. And when people like in the comments, there's a discussion happening now about are the comic books canon or not? And what is canon? And there's so many ways in and there's so many things that you can love and there's so many things that you can dislike. So it's, it gets very complicated when people encounter each other. And have very different ideas of what Star Trek is and what it what it means to them. So I, I'd love to hear from everyone in the comments, like, yes. what does Star Trek Wait, mean I, to you? I, like, I why, yeah. why, why do you like this series? What what is? If you had to close your eyes and say, you know, a a new Star Trek series, it a new Star Trek story, it has to feature 
X. What does that mean to you? Is it Prime Directive? Is it social commentary? Is it adventure? Is it exploration? Is it optimism? Because I think so much of this comes down to that. Like, we, we like our groups and we like our stories. We like our things. But the way we define them and what we like about them, there's so much diversity. That is the idic. There's so much, there's so mm-hmm. much diversity to why someone might even like Star Trek. The, the, and I hadn't thought of it this way until our other side of the room discussion. But the very thing that made Star Trek explode in popularity was that it did appeal on so many levels, so many, I mean, Marshak and Lichtenberg in their book talked about the effects. One of which even was the fact that, well, I like this little show pre-internet. It was, I like this show, it's amazing, but I'm not going to talk about it because I'm crazy. Or I'm a weirdo. And then, but the first time you find somebody else is just as passionate about it as you are. I mean, now, now that's like almost a, now it's instantaneous. You go online to find out who cares about the same thing you do. And fandoms clump together instantly. And, and gatekeeping is off and running then. But I mean, it, that was, but just find the other NASA freaks, the other history buffs, the other shippers, the other world builders, the other, you know, uh, writers. The other backgrounders, the other people in your, you instantly have a like. This whole thing of having our favorite, we all are different. Everybody sees everything differently. We all have a different life experience. So of course we're all going to have different flavors that we hit. What's our stake in it? What's the hook that got us? And then we find other people to share the same hook with. What's weird is where that somehow gets weaponized into our hook slash appeal point is better than yours or is too different, you know, and that's where, that's where it's always been a little, and sometimes there's one that's so overwhelming, it's consumed with itself and doesn't even notice. <laughs> I mean, I talked about that when I first realized that background people were kind of like the big minority compared to the shippers, basically, and the Spock people, and the Spock people are the reason we have zine slash club, club, club convention culture. So cool. But I just remember thinking, am I just so insignificant that there's four or five people in the world who want to talk about the same thing I do? And I found out that wasn't, you know, that was a limit of paper and stamp fandom. But, but this whole thing about somewhere we go from a passion point to, even if not like feeling better, like we, we have a curiosity factor that I'd like to think is in Star Trek fans exploring. We're all sitting here cheering for SpaceX to go yeah. up. Hey, because, you know, the cure risk is our business. Yes. I mean, you know, we have that, but at some points, even the, our better angels take a snooze and we get defensive or whatever, or somewhere how we go from, that's cool. You go do your thing. I'll do mine. And somewhere we get down a, a road to, uh, well, okay, but my, I'm really going to take more time with mine because it's better than yours or, you know, and somewhere on a slippery slope where things in situations or there's competition for time or resources or attention spans or whatever. And that's where we start getting into the divisiveness when we also step like, you know, whatever brought you here is great. It's like we have to stop and breathe. And this, the term gatekeeping gets invented because we get to a point where we need the term to talk about it. I, this is what I, I, I am. I love our chat across these different, uh, dimensions of Facebook and YouTube and Twitch. We're getting <laughs> such wonderful comments. Um, Jessica says, hope for humanity. Uh, Jared says, I love this answer, Jared. And I'm also very jealous you got to see SpaceX from your window because you live in Florida. But Jared says, uh, Star Trek mm-hmm. to me is a franchise universe where stories take place. <laughs> I lo- that is the most... <laughs> 
open-ended, broad, inclusive definition of what Star Trek is I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, damn you. No, <laughs> Tim says, damn you, you green-blooded Vulcan. That's impression number two, folks. Uh, Tim Han says, Dr. Ali, um, Star Trek offers me hope for the future, something our present society doesn't have. That's what got me into Star Trek as well, Tim. Heather says, for me, it has to feature some exploration of some aspect of the human condition. I know that it can be a huge variety of issues, but but I think that's what makes it so appealing to so many. Um, Rebecca says it's exploration of space and culture. It's science. It's the tech. It's finding yourself in the characters and feeling like this could happen one day. Zahir says my favorite Star Trek theme is exploring how humanity effed up over and over again, learned its lesson, and finally eradicated the social ills we see today. Uh, so we're right on track. <laughs> right on track. <laughs> Uh, Sue says uh, more exploration and brain use for interstellar space, less fist fights. Um, Star Trek's never been good with the fist fights until Star Trek 2009 came along. Um, so, I mean, Larry, this is the thing. a control knob. I, you know, the moments when Kirk pulls a knob out of a console and uses it <laughs> as a bashing weapon, I just, you just, okay, fine. And look, there's six more there you can use, James. Oh my gosh, <laughs> there's, there's so much here, and this is, this, I, I think we should, um, this gets us into the counselor's log. So this is the part of the show where I bring in um, my experience as a real life counselor, as a, as a psychologist, to, to hopefully help us to understand a different, different lens on all of this and you know larry this is this is where these problems of gatekeeping also match a lot of other societal problems we're experiencing you know in the small in in the smallest realm it's it's basic human tribalism we like our groups we dislike other groups that's the in-group out-group bias um even if they're artificially created groups so there's that i like my thing i don't like your thing right um, we see that we're, we're back into like high school click movies. Oh, you know? we're back into oh. high school clicks. We're back into oh. the very beginning of 2009 a Space Odyssey, where you have one group of apes, you have another group of apes, you know, like, uh, and that gets violent. That's a different story. But, um, quite oh. literally, that's a different story. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that was supposed to be all black. I was supposed to be a monolith. Uh, anyways, that was. <laughs> Does that count as impression three? Maybe I don't know. Um, but that was, there you go. There's the there's the bottle. <laughs> oh, okay. Reflecting different franchise here. Different Very franchise. glossy bottle. <laughs> but there's um, there's a lot yeah. of um, the in group out group bias isn't necessarily a bad thing because there's also so many good aspects of finding your community of having a shared language of, of not being alone. Like, yeah, we talked alone. about loneliness. Like yeah. Not, not being lonely is a good thing. Absolutely. And, you know, my uh, loneliness is linked to poor immune system functioning. Um, we all need connection community. That's why we're all here. We're talking on the chat. You know, I love that Jared left one of the SciShow streams to join the Trackland streams because there's more people chatting there because you found more of your community here. Like, this is why we created Life Support Live is to create more of a sense of community. So there's so much good here it also 
uh, big problems can emerge. And one one thing I want to blame here, this is less of me acting in as a counselor. It's more uh, getting back to briefing room stuff. One of the big problems we have is as these franchises and as fandom has become more commercialized mm. and as media has changed, so the 2009 Star Trek film had to appeal to mass audiences and Star Trek Discovery had to launch a network, uh, CBS All Access, just like Voyager had to launch UPN. Mm-hmm. You had different motivations involved. They were trying to appeal to different audiences, and the show had to be redesigned for different reasons. And this gets into, I think, the heart of gatekeeping, which is identity. You know, I, I've never asked you this, Larry, but I've never heard you once describe yourself as a Trekkie. Oh, I'm no. I always say Trek. I, so I, tell me about that. I, I, I want to put you in the counselor seat. I came out of the generation where Trekkie was the pejorative, and and then it became like a comedy thing. It was like I understood. Then it turned into this thing: a Trekkie or Trekker, Trekkie or Trekker. And I I I've got a paper I wrote in a freshman comp class about the difference between Trekkies and Trekkers. Mm-hmm. And I've always used the phrase Trek fan. I just sidestep it. And what's weird is. The whole people now talk about Trekkie and Trekker, and they're so it's three generations later, and I see people very studiously say, Well, it means this, and it's like, No, I was there at the beginning, and I know exactly. In fact, um, uh, a reporter from NPR called me a week ago mm-hmm. and quoted me, and I was, I'd never had this happen, uh, been on news before, but never NPR, and I was pulled into a story. The term warp speed after Trump used it to talk about his um, his vaccine program. Right. <laughs> and that was that was the news slot. But I was like, oh, cool. Oh, yay. I'm going to be on NPR. And, you know, and I put the word out on my social media. Hey, everybody, listen to the And here comes the NPR and they'll and it's online. Right. You didn't have to tape and record it. It's of course, it's there online. <laughs> it's, and the headline on the story is um, the Trekkie community reacts to the use of warp speed term. Mm-hmm. And I even then I kind of went, oh, God, really? The Trekkie <laughs> community? Really? It's like somebody. What is this? 1975? Come on, get over it. You know, but I see a lot of it's 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 a lot like when I was a kid, the term Oki in the 30s, the grapes of wrath Steinbeck had been its disparaging you know, basically all the redneck scum buckets that had to leave Oklahoma and go to California, even though they were all from different states, the term Oki was attached to that. So two generations went by where that was a term of shame. Mm-hmm. And in the 60s, there was this big thing to attack, you know, make it a term, you know, to totally change the vocabulary and the and the, 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 the meaning around it, the vibe around it. And and now it's a thing. Now I say, yep, I'm, you know, people just say, okay, as I'm from Oklahoma or I was born there. Mm-hmm. And it's totally from 99% of the world has totally lost that pejorative right. meaning. And right. I know that's what, I know that's what's happened to Trekkie. Yeah. But sometimes it's hard to fight that. So, and, and, and also for years, if you would say it and you didn't care, somebody else would pop up and say, well, I'm a trucker, not a Trekkie. And there were even the buttons at the time. I think I've got one somewhere. So that's why. I yeah, just, and just, I viscerally still wince. I know. <laughs> I know. I know because there's been times when I've used it because it is a term I identify with. And this is something I want, uh, I want to hear from all of you in, yes. in the comments. Let us know. How do you identify in relation to Star Trek? Is it just a thing you watch? Are you a Star Trek fan? Are you part of Trekland? Are you a Trekker? Are you a Trekkie? Let us know how you identify because this, this gets to the core of the problem, uh, Larry is, 
Um, Ezra Klein has uh, just came out with a uh, Ezra Klein, one of the uh, co-founders of Vox Media, um, came out with a book called Why We're Polarized. And there's a there's a, um, a quotation from that book that I absolutely love where he says the simplest way to to activate someone's identity is to threaten it, to tell them that they don't deserve what they have, to make them consider that it might be taken away. The experience of losing status and being told your loss of status is part of society's march to justice is in itself radicalizing. And that that so well summarizes so much social psychology that when our identity, whatever it might be... Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you just leaped. I was about to say identity, and you just leaped there. He's, Ezra Klein's quote was talking about status, which almost feels a little bit like you and all your stuff. Yeah. An identity is like, that's embedded. Like, oh, yeah. Personal it, than your status is your identity, and people, they're equated in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's, it's <laughs> who you believe you are, what you identify with, what you believe, what's important to you, ideas that are sacred to you. And sacred doesn't necessarily mean religious. When we come to uh, the idea of sacred values in psychology, it can be freedom of speech can be a sacred value. Um, uh, idic, infinite diversity and infinite combinations can be a sacred value. Han shot first for our Star Wars fans can be a sacred value because it, it's not about Han shooting first, but it's about I watch those original Star Wars movies. They're a big part of how I grew up, my worldview. They're a big part of my connection, my community, and that has been changed, and that now threatens this uh, the sense of who I am. So all yep. of this yeah. stuff is it's it's all connected, and I I think so much of the outrage we experience is well, this is now threatening the things I believe, how I, de- how I identify what I grew up with, and um, it, it can feel like it's threatening your status and every, all, all the time, effort, resources, um, everything you put into this thing that you believe. One of the most, I wish everybody who in, in, in experiences, in our case, Star Trek, Everyone who experiences Star Trek chiefly online, and as we said, now more than ever because of the pandemic, when you do get a chance, a lot of people could didn't have the wherewithal, can't go to conventions, they don't have the ability, or maybe they're they're not big enough to you know to focus on Star Trek. There's regional conventions, whatever. Not everybody can do this. Yeah. But the first year, the Star Trek Vegas before the premiere of Discovery. I will never forget this. A, a good old traditional Klingon fan in all his glory. God bless him. Kalis bless him. Uh, <laughs> uh, came up the mic and ev- you could not. And Mary Chifo played Laurel and Ken Mitchell that played um, uh, Core. I get some of the. Yeah. Anyway, the two main Klingon actors, totally in their normal guise, before anyone had seen the footage, a bit of footage, except the promos. But the whole controversy about changing the Klingon look was out there. Yeah. And people yeah, yeah, can yeah, get yeah, all yeah, weaponized. Yeah. And you talk yeah. about changing your identity. And a lot of us look at it as just a canon thing. Uh, I, tr- I am very pragmatic about a lot, a lot, a lot of things. To me, anything like this, to me, comes across as, okay, how hard is it going to be to fix this? <laughs> Later <laughs> on, when cooler heads prevail or when the pendulum stops swinging, how much effort is it going to take to fix this? But... 
it's not nearly, you know, and then sometimes it's, it's that it's much more emotional, as you were just saying, it's more about status and identity. And even though we're talking about it's a passion pit, well, what are we if we don't have our passion points, right? Yeah. What are we don't have our favorite team, our favorite this, our favorite that. But what I will never forget is in the middle of this feel good panel, and the actors, and they're both great people as the years have shown, they're incredible people, totally got it. They were totally new to Trek and fandom, but they knew this huge responsibility as people who were portraying characters that nobody had even seen their their episodes yet, but they totally knew that this, this ship has sailed, and they're there, and they're trying to introduce themselves at the same time. Too. And here is this fan who is not a screamer, who's not a raver, who is not an ugly person. He's This guy, he's probably in his 40s or his 50s, wasn't even very tall. He was more of a teddy bear Klingon. But he was in his full regalia, and he came up and he said, very sincerely and honestly, and said, and maybe somebody in the chat was even there and remembers this. Uh, he wasn't the first one. He was midstream. And said, you guys are great. You guys are awesome. I so want to be on board with you guys. Can you please just tell me that what's about to, what I'm about to see on screen this fall is not going to take away everything I have loved for 20 years. Mm. And I was standing up on the side. I wasn't sitting up like, and I was like, whoa, that is the best expression. Any, you know, to the core of what is, some people get off on conflict and, you know, you know, stirring the shit, as we say. But most people, this is where it really came back to me. Most of people, this is a passion point. It's just that yeah. because if it wasn't a passion point, we wouldn't care. If Star Trek didn't start passions, we wouldn't be here 55 years later talking about it. It would be another dead show from the 60s. Yep. So, but the, he was so sincere and so plaintive and so, you know, stripped vulnerable and just saying, can you just please not change what I've loved for, don't, don't take it away. And of course, Mary and Ken were, no, we promise you, we are not going to, you know, you can have everything. You can have that and this and everything. And we're not, you know, it was amazing to see, the, but I'll never forget that. And it was uh, the most, the purest expression of what's underneath a lot of what we're talking about today. There's there. Um, I want this episode to be five hours long because there's so much stuff I want to talk about. But um, one thing well, I we want could just come back next week. And <laughs> we could um, Night Angel. Um, so much in the chat. Night, I'm a- Night Angel DK. Good to see you again. Night Angel was on my live stream yesterday on the psych show. Mm. Where we talked about motivation and how to create motivation. So good to see you again. Um, I think of myself as a light fan. I haven't seen all the series. Uh, I think I kind of gatekeep on myself because I feel I'm not into everything to really call myself a fan. No, you like something, call yourself a fan. Um, we see this in other fandoms a lot. We see this in Marvel fans. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is a great example of these big tentpole events. You can buy a Marvel shirt at Target now. You know, it's so easy to get into that fandom experience. And then it's so deep. You know, there's there's years, decades and decades, and decades of comic books and obscure storylines. And you can really lose yourself in it, um, much like Star Trek, much like Star Wars. <laughs> and we see these problems with Star yeah. Wars as well. No, if you like the thing, you like the thing and you can identify any way that you want. Night Angel, you, there's there's no need to to gatekeep. That's what's yourself. amazing about calling to me is you can yeah. go. 
And what's I what I love is I knew two or three people, one in particular, who were cosplaying before it was a thing, before anime spilled over into who was, they were Trek cosplayers. And every year in Vegas, here's everyone wearing their uniforms, which is cool. You know, the whole thing of costume used to be what uniform are you wearing? And here she'd come up and she's in her Maress outfit with the, you know, with the case. Or she's uh, in her guest star of the week from original series and rocking it. And it just so stood out. Now she blends in and that's great. But I mean, back in the day, you know, but but cosplay to me is one way where people it's become a science as well as an art now. People are like looking for the deep, deep cut that they can go do. And how many people can, when they're walking around, go like they, they get a blank look or they get a, oh my God, you know, kind of a look. And, and of course they live, they love for that. But what's yeah. really going on there is it's a five day con and I've got to come up with seven different, you know, looks. For, and they're, and people are going, the, the, the uh, competition, if it was a thing, is to go deeper and deeper and be more obscure, but which is cool when it's a fandom. It's not obscurity isn't a isn't a, a downer. It's a, it's like the cool thing. It's the deep, you know. It's the deep cut. Anyway, I, I want to say one more th- uh, one more thing before we get out of the counselor's log, and um, that is. You know, while Larry, these issues that we're talking about, they've happened over over and over again cyclically. There is a difference now in in how mm-hmm. we are all interacting with each other, and that is the role of online and social media. You know, one of the one of the things that happens, um, a lot of people think it's anonymity that's the problem that leads to really mm-hmm. inhumane actions online, and research seems to indicate that it's actually the lack of face-to-face eye contact that we have that's more the problem because you can be on twitter and even if someone doesn't have uh even if someone has their real name they can real they can act in inhumane ways with with each other Mm. and so you and i right now are looking at each other now it's it's virtually and online but it's still better than if we were texting and our eyes are like 10 degrees off right right right. i'm looking down here at my screen my camera's up there like it's it's all wacky but um we have some semblance of face-to-face eye contact, but we are—we have thousands of years old of programming in our head that is wired for face-to-face eye contact. When we're face-to-face with each other having a conversation, there are empathy breaks that go off in our head that keep us from saying really horrible things to each other. Now, mm-hmm. if you get really upset and really mad, that that break is it's hard to press. But when you're online, that break doesn't really work well so much because you're not looking at someone in the eyes you're not getting that empathy so that can make it a little bit easier to say things you wouldn't otherwise say in a text in a chat room on twitter and then there are there are trolls out there and there are other personality aspects that are are specific to to trolls i don't want to get into all of that but um some people are really wired to kind of set things off in those conversations. Just because we might consistently interact with them online doesn't mean they're the majority. But if it's the constant experience you're getting as a fan of 2009, or if you love every time, if you, every time you post how much you're enjoying Star Trek Discovery, if you just get a just a wall. Uh, a hurricane, a train of hate messages, it's going to impact you. Right. And it's going to make you feel like, well, you know, this is how the world is. This is what the community is. Especially Even- if it's just blindsided. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't ask for all this. Really, guys? I'm not looking for a fight with anybody. I just said what was in my heart, and I haven't attacked anyone. And this is what, I, yeah, especially to a younger or a newer fan. Yeah. Jer- Jared says, I dated someone once who could communicate better if they weren't physically looking at each other. And there's diversity here. Um, we know people who are on the autism spectrum tend to communicate better if they don't have the eye contact. Uh, sometimes people who have ADHD struggle with eye contact, social anxiety as well. So th- there's, di- uh, there's diversity here. Uh, Itic again is true, but in general, we are, um, we tend to communicate better if we're acting in the ways that we have evolved to interact, which is not how the internet works right now. So this is one of the problems is we, in previous decades, it wasn't so easy for all these different factions, all these different tribes to collide with each other. And now it's a constant collision, which honestly is very overwhelming. I, I try very hard, Larry, not to post much about Star Trek besides love of it. And even then, if I post some, you know, a, a couple of years ago after season one of Discovery ended, I, I made this post that I thought was very nuanced. And I talked about everything I loved about the show. I talked about the dis- uh, the diversity of the cast as mm-hmm. well as the diversity of the crew, uh, a reimagining of how Star Trek can work um, on TV, serialized storytelling being back after uh, we had some of that in Enterprise, but Deep Space Nine, I think, did it best. I talked about all the stuff I loved about Discovery. And then I mentioned, you know, the thing I'm missing is a social commentary it, where Star Trek can help us understand the world we're in right, right. now. Right. And Peeb, I got so many uh, really negative messages that are saying like how dare you attack Discovery you know Discovery has meant all of this to me Um, you know it's the first series that's doing X, Y, and Z like don't be a Discovery hater and it's it's so hard to have any nuanced conversation in a tweet you know, it's right. we're just not wired for that. And I, you know, and I'm just broad brushing here, but I bet the things that those people were geared into was Discovery's uh, extreme diversity and representation as far as like TV and Trek history goes. Yeah, like the representation, yeah. the big step uh, forward uh, there. Yes, yes. So that was a you, what you meant. You were mentioning all ago about attacking your own identity. You're attacking some, or people feel their status or their identity is attacked. At the, when you don't mean that, you make a statement, but any comment on this aspect gets immediately turned into a very personal, um, something very personal when that's not exactly what you meant at all. No. Yeah. And you, and if they've come from a million other battles where people were more brutal and more ugly, it's kind of like you walk into your office and somebody just is having a horrible day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. You're, or you're, you're on guard. Home and you you're, walk in and someone in the family is having a horrible day and you walk in and say, Hey, and you get your, you get your head bit off. And it's like, what did I do? I, I mean, th- this maps onto happening without the personal. Yeah. This maps onto what we're probably going to talk about next week, which is prejudice. Um, and what Star Trek has to say about prejudice. But, um, but not to take away from our poll we have every week. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, maybe we'll go in a different direction. Who knows? But um, the thing, the thing is it's that when when your experience has been consistently being um, 
judged, evaluated, rejected, passed over, um, when you've been constantly discriminated against, you are going to be more hypervigilant. You are going to be more on guard because your life experience has been one that is very different. Um, and so you are wired to see more threats here because that has been your lived reality. So I am sure that the person who wrote that follow-up comment to me they have had a life experience more recently where every time they've talked about this thing that they love, they have received so much hate and rejection for it. So it, this is the challenge that we live in. I 100% believe, because I'm a Trekkie um, or a Star Trek fan or someone who loves this show, but also because I'm a psychologist, that diversity is better. Diversity of thought of life experience, of background, of expertise, of abilities, of sexuality, of race, of religion. Diversity is better because when teams of people can come together and have more differences in their backgrounds, they see the world differently and they can attack a problem mm -hmm. differently. You see this in every single briefing room in every Star Trek episode. The captains always encourage dissent and different perspectives. And diversity does help us to solve problems better. However, diversity is also leads to more conflict and it's harder. It's harder to unite people over shared goals when we come from different experiences. Mm -hmm. it, it takes more work. It's worth it. And it takes more work. So the, the yeah, the diversity in problem solving that you just, the classic Star Trek briefing room or, or conference room scene takes place in a, even though we love to say they love to debate about what Starfleet is, it takes place in a hierarchical, a very strict hierarchical system where we know the captain is going to have the final word. Even if the captain is wrong and has to be shown the right way by Spock or Data or Geordi or whoever it is, eventually, in that moment, the captain is running the meeting, you know, yeah. Yeah. or somebody who somebody is in charge of the meeting. And a lot of times our encounters, uh, if it's a work encounter or, the, you know, the real life military, but if it's a work encounter or a home life encounter, the power structure in the in the arc, the um, what's the word for that? Uh, the hierarchy is not so well defined or the hierarchy right. is always it's in flux or it's supposed to be a certain way and it's always oh, we're getting deep here I know but what yeah. I'm saying is sometimes you know what's going to happen and there's a very good structure in place that even if you're aggrieved here's the appeal process or we come back around and do it in this structured way and sometimes but the bottom line is um, confronting those differences through that lens of, of diversity and if you don't make it the first time you just have to circle around and you have it's on you to hone your argument right what we see like and we're amazing we're back around talking to this i i go back to the last week in minneapolis and the national reaction in in sympathy with that in empathy with what's going on in minneapolis and the racial strife there and the the, the difference in power structure is that when when things have like you said when it's been long aggrieved when it's piled up, you know, we walk into a room and say the wrong thing because somebody's had a bad day before we got there. If someone's had a bad life <laughs> before we got there, we don't know what's going to come out at us. So anyway, it, it's it's a matter of degrees, but it just struck me again that that's what's at work. Um, you know, we see it's, an entire group lash out, you know, even with violence, which is not ever good, but it's that's what's going on. 
It, one of the secret values in Starfleet is diversity of thought, of experience. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. That's why I love Star Trek so much. Um, a little bit earlier, Zahir in the chat said, is this going to be our, is COVID-19 going to be our Gregory Bell moment? Is this the moment where we start to see our social problems? Getting back to that wonderful um, uh, two-part episode in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where Cisco and uh, Julian Bashir are stuck in the past of San Francisco, like, like right now, and massive homelessness, massive ignoring of social plight. I mean, that episode is so hard to watch now because it is san francisco yes it it is you have this uh upper class silicon valley millionaires and you have this massive homelessness population and the disparity there so is this the moment that wasn't even that the problem existed and the disparity existed but they'd all been put in this compound for their own protection mentally ill the jobless and and the poor, like all thrown together, which is what we have. We have homelessness, but how much of our homelessness right now is the mentally ill? Yeah, that yep. get care that yes. don't deserve to be out there no more. I mean, no one deserves to be out there, but it's uh, like all these people are. Yeah, and it's yes, it's Gregory, scary. Gregory, uh, Gabriel Bell. I think I said yes, Gregory Gabriel. Bell. Thank you, Dan. I wasn't going to correct you. Oh, I, I appreciate. You're that, only Dr. the real Dr. PhD, <laughs> so that, you know. <laughs> I uh, sometimes expect too much of you, Mr. Matu. Yeah, so. <laughs> Doc, it's Dr. Matu, Larry, when we're on air. I was quoting uh, Bell, mine, but okay. Bell Riots. It's the tw- uh, 2024 yes. Bell Riots that we're talking yes. about. Um, and there was a wonderful discussion in the chat about that. Um, thank you for, for that conversation, folks. And this is the thing is, you know, Star Trek, if we want to get to that utopian future, we have to work through the challenges of diversity. Um, diversity is going to be a skill that's going to help us to solve these problems. It gets back to that wonderful episode. I think it's Masterpiece Society where um, uh, LaForge's visor is the technology that saves a society that genetically weeds out anyone who might have differences. Geordi would not exist in this society, but because we really value diversity in the Federation, we have created this technology that wouldn't have otherwise existed. So that's that's the thing. If we want to get to that, we have to figure out how do we navigate some of the challenges of working together. And one of the biggest challenges is when you feel like your identity, your tribe, your beliefs are threatened. We mm-hmm. respond with the full weight of anger, of persecution, of rejection. Um, it's one of the biggest challenges we have, which I think can get us into Larry. We're, we're going, we're going where we have gone before. Um, is it our, away, mission time? away mission time. Yeah. I'm just catching up on chat all over the place and it is, it's, it's blown up today. So I apologize if I haven't been here as much, but let's, not let's, only do we have a chat, but we, we also have, um, Heather who will be joining us in this conversation on, um, on life support. We're going to have, we're going to open up those hailing frequencies. Heather, thank you for, for waiting. We're going to get you on after our away hey. mission. Um, so we've only had one and a half Skype calls. We've had one and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Honestly, folks, um, Star Trek fans, people who watch Star Trek, Trekkies, Trekkers, Treklanders, everyone, I've, I've struggled with this week's away mission. How can I give you 
an assignment that is going to help us with this problem in a way that's easy and fun. Um, it's kind of like asking, hey, um, Ali, how do you solve polarization in a quick and easy fun way to do it's it's very difficult um i i struggled with this a lot and i think i have an answer now i I was thinking okay well from the perspective of someone who's experienced gatekeeping it's about finding your crew and finding your tribe and finding other people who love this thing i think jared mentioned um he created a group that's about loving star trek and not having any of the hate so is it about finding your crew and then i thought okay from the gatekeeper perspective maybe it's about um not uh, not rejecting this thing firsthand, like Cisco and the Prophets. Like, he had to keep working on it, keep talking about it, keep getting exposure to it to come to a place of better understanding. Is it that? And I, I think I've got a simpler answer for us. When you feel this happening, when you are having the struggle with someone else, when they're talking about, I really like this Star Trek comic, it helped me understand how Khan was a title and not necessarily a person in Star Trek Into Darkness, and someone else might say, well, that's not canon, and then you kind of get into that whole thing. Back up and ask the other person this question. What is it about Star Trek that you love? Or you can ask this, why do you think this is so important to me? So why do you love Star Trek? Or why do you think this part of Star Trek is so important to me? The reason why is if we can get, if you can understand the core values, the core aspects of the person's identity, it is probably going to help you to overcome those big hurdles in in canon and in how the Klingon foreheads look and all of that. And Larry, I think we experienced this on the chat, is the most I felt connected to you and everyone in the comments is when we started talking about what is it that you love about Star Trek? And Are if- you... Are you saying, Ali, that when there's a point of when there's a point of conflict or, or difference, or even before that, that it helps to make your own first contact? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. We just brought it all the way back to the Vulcans landing in Bozeman, Montana. Um, I'm saying, yeah. Don't let somebody run out and shoot them with a rifle. No, no, no. Go ahead and go through with it. Well, if if you therein lies the mirror universe, we don't want that. No, no, no. If you can understand the (laughs) value of where people are coming from. I mean, this is what never happened in Star Trek Enterprise until much later. The humans were itching to explore. Um, mm. The Vulcans were so worried about conflict. Um, we ha- That's where the conversations need to happen. And that's the same thing with, with fandom, is if we can connect with why do you love this thing so much? And why do you think I love this thing so much? Why do you think it's so important to me that the Enterprise was constructed in space and not on Earth, as is shown in the 2009 Star Trek film? If you can have that conversation, why is it so important to you? You'll get to a place of shared understanding. And from there, we can work through our conflicts. We can work through this stuff. Oh my gosh, Larry! There's so right. much. I'm just it. looking at. I'm I'm looking, and I again, I'm guys. I'm way behind in the chat here. Uh, 
pan con queso me gusta. And again, I don't, we haven't, I haven't seen so many Twitchers today, and I meant to repeat this more often until we got some bot help. But everybody, just in case you, I mean, every platform is only seeing the comments from people on your own platform. So the YouTubers are only seeing the YouTubes. Ali's YouTube people are only seeing his own comments. Mine are seeing mine. My Facebook people are only seeing at Trekland. So, and you Twitch people, maybe the loneliest of all, <laughs> because you're not used to that delayed reaction. So anyway, I just want to once again, uh, this late into the show, remind everybody that you're only seeing the comments from. We're seeing a combined chat, which is nice. But uh, but so I'm going back to a YouTube, and I'm trying to even mention the platform. So YouTuber Pan Con Queso Me Gusta, way back a long time ago, said, why should I like Star Trek? Star Trek. Um, yeah, anyway, somebody somebody may have got into that in the comments. But, uh, so I, I think, Larry, I'm going to open up that. Yes. We're, we're into hailing frequencies. Are we're into open, hailing folks. frequencies. Anyway. Um, Larry, I am going to bring in um, Heather. Heather has been patiently waiting um, uh, from YouTube. And uh, we're going to have a conversation with Heather. So, Heather? Can you hear me? Hi, I can hear you. Wonderful. But I did the very fun thing of hanging up on Larry. <laughs> so uh, let me add Larry back into our conversation. Um, thank you so much for being here, for uh, uh, being on the show. Uh, and here comes Larry. Larry, I'm so sorry. I'm so there we sorry go. about that. <laughs> Heather, um, can, you, um, can you just introduce yourself? Um, so my name's Heather. I was um, the Heather Hernandez from YouTube that uh, you guys talked about earlier on um, my saying that I did have a bit of my own gatekeeping with the 2009 and even Discovery a little bit. And I kind of came around to realizing that, you know, different people like different things for their own reasons. And that doesn't take away from my enjoyment of it. And I shouldn't take away from this. Absolutely, absolutely. So, were you um, were you someone who Star Trek two thousand nine was one of your first exposures to Star Trek? No, no, actually, both of my parents were Trekkies of the original series. They were in that write in um, campaign to keep it on the air for the third season. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm a second generation nerd. Yeah, love <laughs> it, love it. What, so, so it's you're in the DNA. But now I'm curious, what was the moment that you caught yourself that you had that aha? I'm I'm not being very idiotic here about this, I guess. Um, it honestly was a more towards when um, Into Darkness came out. I mm. I kind of enjoyed 2009, just because it'd been so long since we'd had a movie, and to be right. honest, it came out the weekend of my birthday. So that was helps. Fun. <laughs> um, and and I realized that like just because it wasn't. I was talking to a couple of my friends. I have a lot of Star Trek friends. Like that's our fandoms are the reason we kind of are such a tight group of friends. Uh -huh. and, um, it, it just kind of came up in a conversation, and uh, I realized that I'm like, why, why am why am I like talking bad about this? It's not a bad show, and it and it like my, my friends don't like the exact same episodes I do, but we mm. both still enjoy the show. So like that doesn't take away from our friendship what helped you to get to that point because i think all of us have experienced that in one way or another i experienced that with deep space nine when i first started watching that i'm like this is weird everything is so 
like everyone's depressed it's like it's not lit well there's no enterprise there's no star uh, starship and now it's my favorite star trek but like how did you get there how did you work through some of that own gatekeeping that you were experiencing um probably because i realized i've been on the other side of it with other things uh, <laughs> like different mm-hmm. fandoms empathy that I, like you were talking about earlier, well, you don't know all the facts, so obviously you're not a fan, and it's like, but I like this thing, (laughs) so how am I not a fan? And I think having that that personal experience of being on the other side of that gatekeeping, Mm. and it made it real for me a little bit to kind of see it, be in the other person's shoes, and, and go like, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, don't know everything about this, or maybe I like this and not that, but it doesn't make this any less um oh, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> doesn't make it any less important to the person who is the fan right. of the thing. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's so interesting. You mentioned that cause I, um, I wasn't a huge Voyager fan as the show was airing. Um, and I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, um, Alex, who's a friend of mine from, um, from college. And she told me, she said, um, I love Star Trek Voyager because it was, um, my, my parents were uh, Trekkies from the original series. And, uh, this was the first show I could, I, I sat down with my mom and we watched together and we loved together. And, um, she said, you know, Ollie, I think you and I are both fans who like Star Trek series that are less beloved by other fans. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And it was in that moment that my view of Voyager completely shifted. And I realized, oh, you and I both share this thing that we like a series that a lot of other people might not like. So maybe I should revisit that series. And now I've really come to appreciate Voyager as one of the most easiest to watch Star Trek series. If I'm feeling down, I can just put on an episode of Voyager and I feel better. Like any episode, pick it and I'm going to have fun. So I, I very much identify with what you're sharing. I, I think I've shared the story too about I I felt, I think a lot of people of conscience, like Heather, you were talking about uh, the way you described it right there. I think a lot of us really do have a lot of empathy. I just think sometimes these situations when they're new, we get blindsided. And and maybe we're so and not even like because we're emotional just because it's so new that we feel like when we get a moment or we have a couple of things pile up and our and our and our logical <laughs> not bird brain can uh, kick in and we can go oh like you did Heather and say oh wait a minute and you see it from the other side you take a mile you walk a mile in their shoes you get it from their side. And I think sometimes we, we, we want to do that and we eventually get there. But in the moment, in the first time or two, and hopefully things don't get, you know, raw or weaponized in that first, like the, the first contact doesn't go badly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but because I had the same experience. I mean, for, for a long time, I wanted to, I wanted my empathy to kick in and I just was disappointed with the first, I was disappointed with the decision to have the, the Kelvin movies be an alternate universe. I'm like, look, we, People thought Star Trek was dead in 05. Here's someone who has the ability to make Star Trek when the suits didn't want it. An individual with clout is going to make a Trek. But then I quickly saw that their heart wasn't really in it, but they were smart enough to get Trek people in their in their tribe to help them make the movie. And yet, at the at the time, I thought, well, this is a waste of time. Now I'm so glad that 
Orsi and Kurtzman insisted on the alternate universe. Instead of just doing a Batman Spider-Man reboot and make Star Trek like everything else, the whole the whole circus of going to an alternate universe preserved Prime so that at some point we could come back to it. And I didn't get that at the moment, and now I'm glad about it. But what really got me was I talked about that first year at Vegas. I walked in, and here's 300 people in a, what used to be the nothing secondary panel room, and they were all there because they were all fans who were only there because of they were totally new because of the new movie. Yeah, and it, I got it. It's like this movie is keeping Star Trek alive for mainstream press and for all these people who are still new. It's still going to be a great gateway drug for Star Trek at a time when all the other Star Trek was old Trek that was dead and off the air. And I instantly got why it was so important. You know, and well, I could appreciate it for that. Uh, there were two things you were talking about that made me think of in there. Um, first, the bit you were just talking about, of um, like a gateway drug and keeping it new. Um, <laughs> if you saw me looking off to the screen, it's because my fiance walked in and realized I was talking. To him. <laughs> <laughs> What's your um, fiance's name? Can we say hi? His name's Matt. Yeah. <laughs> hi, Matt. Uh, hey, where, hey, can I, Heather, can I ask you where, just even generically where you are physically? Um, Sacramento, California. Oh, hey, we got three Californians on the stream at the same time. Okay. Well, um, I'm really an old Okie, but okay. <laughs> but uh, he's a he's a big fan of the original series, and I'm slowly introducing him to Next Gen, more uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and he's loving Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, Is uh, that the- why you're wearing that shirt? You're getting a lot of love of the shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's one of the four Star Trek shirts I own. Nice, <laughs> so, nice. Um. But uh, we were, me and him were actually talking about this, uh, like, uh, way for new people into it about discovery, because me and him had a very deep discussion about how, like, I know a lot of people don't feel discovery has the, the gravitas of the human condition conversations, at, but there's a huge fandom for discovery. And I, I mentioned, I was like, you know, honestly, as long as it brings new fans in and then they find out there's these 50 years of stuff behind it to look into that's all that really matters. Like that's, that's the important thing is that they found a way here. Like, does it, so what if it seems a little fluffy (laughs) maybe it has something for them that it doesn't for me. Um, and then I think it can be intimidating 50. We love to say 55 years, blah, blah, blah. I I get it that it's very, there are a lot of people that didn't want to watch discovery or Picard because they think they have to, or, you know, they even sincerely earnestly think, well, I'll be lost if I watch it because I don't know all 55 years of all. It's like, yeah. no, just, you know. And it can feel so hard, honestly, even for me going back to, like, watch the original series. Yeah. If you don't have some nostalgia about that, it is yeah. it's not an easy one. No, I, 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 I agree I with you, Heather. That, too. that fascinates yeah. me. I mean, I want to talk to everybody like that because it's so you're so used to it that you don't see it for that. But I understand. I see sincere people go, I want to watch the original series and I just can't take it. I mean, I'm, I feel that way. I, I feel that way. I, um, I have a lot of Star Trek shame for, um, not knowing the original series that well. I've seen it all, but honestly, like I, I get, um, I, I did, um, at a, one of my first conventions I went to, they did a trivia contest and the first question I got was an original series question, and I bombed it so hard. And then I looked at everyone around, and they're like, seriously? This guy doesn't know the answer to that question? And since then, I felt such shame <laughs> for my limited the original series knowledge. But the thing is, Larry, 
it's a longer show. It's 10 minutes longer. It's edited at a 1960s pace. And if you don't have that nostalgia, if you don't know it that well, it's really hard to watch. And I think people feel that way about The Next Generation. And that was my track. You know? That's cre- yes. That was my I, too. I grew yeah. up on Next Generation. Yeah. So I think I, yeah. the eras are creeping up to where now the way everything is produced and you know, sla- you know, edited, that even Next Gen is starting to look. Because you yeah. can look at the be- what's interesting is like even though we think of the Burma era, the beginning of next well the first two years are very wobbly. But even look at like peak next generation and then zoom to the end of poor little enterprise. But just go to the end. I mean the the style had already evolved. Yeah. I mean there was a lot more hand. You know it was more modern. It's more hand. But even the enterprise compared to Discovery and Picard, especially Discovery, is going to look you know one two shot one shot one shot you know two shot master shot. I mean very by the book even when they're handheld it's it's not crazy and you know and anyway, yeah the years that, are that showing up but that, it's the heart is also part of i think the the gatekeeping problem is that your brain is very primed to like this is the thing i like this is this is my stuff and what is this new thing over here so yeah. your immediate reaction is just that's not what i know yeah and and so it that can really that nostalgia of well I was, I think I was four years old when Next Gen started. Wow. So, like, I don't know what life is like without Captain Picard. <laughs> and, like, I grew up with Wesley Crusher. I grew yeah. up with these people. And, like, that really can very much cloud my opinion of these mm-hmm. new people on yeah. Discovery. <laughs> Yeah, this is something I forgot to mention, but um, it, it, Star Trek is different. If you watched it when you were in your childhood or as a teenager yes. or even as a young adult, it has a way of influencing your ideas about the world and also storytelling in um, in a different way than if you discover Star Trek as a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old. It's just, it's just different. And so we're growing up with the original series or the next generation. But now people are growing up with Star Trek Discovery and they're going to have a very different view of what it is. And that's okay. That's okay. Like, how lucky are we that we get to love a story that has been reinvented so many different times with so many different characters? And you can find the version of Star Trek that you like. If you want a big budget, yes. it's it's like going to an amusement park. If you want the thrills in the roller coaster, go watch Star Trek 2009. Go watch Into Darkness. If you want a slow, long story, there the original st- series is there. If you want episodes that are fun and goofy, go check out the Voyager episodes with uh, with Captain Captain who Proton. Captain Proton. Yeah, if you oh, want yes. deep, <laughs> you know, if you want deep social commentary, check out the Dominion War. Um, there's. There's something for everyone. It's okay to like different parts of it and not like other parts of it. Yes, and I'm just going to say right now, and I just had a conversation with somebody <clears throat> that I can't mention who or what they are or what they're working on right now. But basically it reinforced my attitude. I've, I've started saying the current era as much as some people, they say, you know, they see Alex Kurtzman, oh, and I'm running screaming away from this. Well, have your opinion, have your whatever, but don't be blind, don't be blinded by names and shorthand, right? Look at the content because we're going to get to a point here. The people that think all modern Trek is all going to be the same and maybe they didn't, maybe they sincerely, it's something coming from any place we've been talking about, but whatever it is, they sincerely think this. 
But then to, to broad brush paint everything the same way without even sampling it and trying it, because if we think that the Berman era, the way we call it now, with, you know, oh my God, two series are running overlapping simultaneously and a movie every couple of years. And we had the we had an MCU before we had fancy words for it, as I'm always fond of saying. Star Trek <laughs> did it first, damn it, before it was a thing. And now we're kind of getting back to it. Um, if you think that was something and you look at it now, now we look back and go, well, next gen DS9 Voyager, are like all the same flavor at the time. DS9 was the dark, gritty show. You said it right. And Voyager was the law. If you think that was something, hold on to your seats, because anybody who's lumping Discovery with Picard and we've got strange, we're already getting the idea, although I don't think it's sunk into a lot of people, that Strange New World, the Pike show, is going to be a return to more episodic, more bright, happy crew. I saw people using my phrase, so I guess I'm affecting Trek culture again. The bright, happy captain and the bright, happy crew on a bright, happy ship having bright, happy adventures every week. You know, the traditional Star Trek and Next Generation format. That's going to be Discovery is I heard Akiva Goldsman say that Star Trek uh, Discovery is like Star Trek adventure and Picard is Star Trek character drama, supposedly. And Strange New Worlds is going to be the bright, happy crew mission of the week again. We've got animated coming there. Are the ones that are coming down the pike, Section 31 is going to be its own flavor. We're going to wind up with a buffet of flavors. So if you yeah. haven't gotten this yet, you're going to see you're going to have more opportunity than ever before to have your favorite and maybe one that is not your favorite at all and two or three in the middle. Yeah, and you and that's can okay. watch all of them or you can watch only one. But Star Trek will not be this one box on the wall and we can liberate our thinking. And maybe we can even get to the point where the movies don't have to be about one cast as a reward for having a great – well, they can be. But I would love to have the movies turn into a big-budget anthology. Yeah. I would love to have the movies be like short treks on steroids and take the lab idea and have that be – they won't. They'll say, oh, look, we made, we made a billion movies, a billion bucks on this one. Let's do them again for three – I mean Hollywood will kick in. But I would love to see the movies become a big-budget lab experiment. But my point is we're about to have so many choices and flavors and tones. We won't. I hope we know what to do with it. I hope we make them all successful. <laughs> and I hope the good – if they're not good, I hope they don't – You know, we don't love them just because Star Trek's been slapped on it. But I don't think that's the intention. But we're about to get more different tones than we've ever had before. And that's, that's part of the intention coming, including the animated series, including getting the young fans without – being born into the family, like so many of our younger people who've grown up with Trek are. Imagine Heather, having got... actually young kids stumble into Star Trek on their own with no impetus and then want to go buy T-shirts and action figures. Heather, oh my I God! One more, one more question for you, Heather, before we let you go, because I think Larry and I are both losing structural integrity um, <laughs> from our spouses uh, here because um, we've gone long, but how can we not go long with this episode? Um, do you have any advice as someone who's been a long-term fan, who struggled with reinventions as we go into this era where Star Trek is, we're going to have this buffet of options. Do you have any advice for fans that might be struggling on either side of this gatekeeping um, on, on how to navigate this, this future? Um, I'm just going to say like what, what I've been doing is, you know, I talk to different people. Like I told you earlier about talking with my friends and kind of hitting there, but also like, Asking specific questions, like as I mentioned, I've been introducing my, my uh, Matt, my fiance, to Deep Space Nine and Voyager, 
And he wanted to know more about them, but he just had missed them when they came out. And he was mm-hmm. a fan of the older Star Trek. And so he came to me and he asked me, he said, look, I don't know anything about these shows. And I kind of have a biased opinion from the outside. They, you know, they look too dark or not Star Trek or whatever. That's OK. Well, let me make up a list of the shows that I know you and I think you would like these episodes. Yeah. And I, I, I fed him the trials and tribulations first off oh yes yeah 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 what a great episode and, and i just started introducing these episodes that knowing him i thought he would like and then yeah. he started like characters and wanted to know more and so now we're just watching deep space nine all the way through and i'm not saying yeah. it's going to convert anybody but finding a thing that could be that middle ground like is there an episode of discovery that maybe your friend would like more than the whole show and yeah. just to Give them an idea that there is value in there somewhere that they can appreciate, even if they don't appreciate the whole thing. I, that is such a uh, wonderful insight because I think that connects everything here. Like you can do that because you you know Matt, you know what he likes, you know what what things he, he enjoys about Star Trek. <laughs> what Star Trek is it an adventure show? Is it the comedy? Is it the connection to the original series? So the trials and tribulations was a beautiful episode to help him understand um, how this what the Star Trek is and how it connects to the things that he loves. But it worked because. You knew Matt and you know what he values about Star Trek and that only comes through understanding. So that means we have to understand each other first, where we're coming from, what we love about Star Trek. And that's our entry point to really having these meaningful conversations. I love, I love that perspective, Heather. Yeah. Um, Heather, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Life Support Live. Not only are you our second and a half slash third <laughs> guest but you've also been the longest guest on life support live well did so, we have a, did we have anybody in the bullpen was anybody pinging to get in that's I, no that's I it know we're, we're wrapping up okay we'll see see everybody see heather you're in the log now you're in the archive see it wasn't hard you're gonna live to talk about it another day yay uh, i got tiny things Clayton yeah. says, say goodbye to Heather for me. Um, Heather, you've been getting a lot of love and support and encouragement and nodding of heads. It could be in the you, everybody. Segment. It could be you next yeah. week. Yeah, so. yeah. It's so. not that hard. Just, just track. <laughs> and, we're not, and we're not limited to one. The day when we're like madly pushing buttons and running around like some top 10 radio show call in would be awesome. So. Who needs to listen to us talk for an hour or 90 minutes? Yeah. yeah, So, Heather, hopefully we'll see you next week again (laughs) in the comments or or feel free to join anytime. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for thanks for coming through YouTube. She was a YouTuber, everybody. We've got a lot of YouTube folks in. I just want to yell and say thank you to I've seen so many new names here and I don't know where they're coming from your channel or maybe even stumbling into mine now that I have it connected on YouTube. But uh, Boose and uh, we'll see you next time, Heather. I got to let you go. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. Bye-bye. Uh, Clayton's been great here all along. Uh-oh. Am I, am I still, You're still here? You're still here. I okay. did not hang up on you. This is the first no, you time. Didn't. It's a see a day of first. <laughs> no, I, I made the mistake of looking at my uh, my own. I'm out of sync with me over here, so stop doing that. Uh, Dan, we'd love to have you. He says, I'd look forward to being Bye. live hopefully next week. We'd love to have you. There's Star Take Trek two. Music 2, says Sue. Um, absolutely. There's so much we could we could talk to, um, talk about with Star Trek. Well, we had a whole lot of gatekeeping point. We don't need to rehash them now, but we were thinking all the way. Even like Enterprise. Did you like the song? Oh. Or- like the yeah, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how many ways can we find to, you know, I think it comes out of a sincere point, but then it gets crazy. 
Uh, yeah. Ruby says, with so much Trek, we can all find a character to really relate to. And I, I completely agree with that. Um, we need more Star Trek to introduce more characters that reflect the world we're living in now. Like, um, in, there's, there's a lot of problems with how gender is depicted in the original series. Um, women, besides number one and Ahura, um, we don't really have a lot of great examples of, uh, really, uh, of women with with a lot of agency in the original series. Mm-hmm. Star Trek needs to be constantly reinvented to reflect how culture has changed. Even the original, uh, even Next Generation has a lot of um, problematic things in relation right. to... Jordy and Leah Brahms. Oh my gosh. Well, and... Um, the original series episode, or not the original, the season one episode where they land on a planet of savages and all the savages are black. Like, I can't remember the name of that episode. Next Gen. Next Gen season one. Code um, of Honor. Code of Honor. Probably one of the worst episodes of the original series. Not just that they're black, but they're like tribal black African. Yeah. yeah. It's really all these stereotypes. I keep saying the original series, but it's one of the worst episodes of the next generation. So we, we, we gotta keep reinventing it to, to keep it, um, relevant to our changing world. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Dan saying, besides being a longtime track fan, my dad refuses to watch DS9. Dan, give your dad my email address. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. I, I have, uh, I've brought many people over to Deep Space Nine and I, I will, uh, I, I can help him out with that. Uh, Dan, have you tried Trials and Tribulations with your dad? Have you yeah. tried? That's, yeah. You know. Um, <clears throat> that's a wonderful, wonderful episode. It's so much fun. I, I love, I, um, a quick shout out here to Whitefish81 on YouTube, yours or mine. I'm not sure. Whitefish81. Gosh, we were talking about a minute ago. He says, gosh, I hope so, Larry, because the Kurtzman stuff is so bad. <laughs> well, again, I think we're in a compressed uh, time frame here. I think in 10 years, so, you know, I, I can't predict the future and I can't predict what mishaps in production may happen. But as we've seen, the fact that Discovery survived for its troubled first season, if it had yeah. been any other thing besides Star Trek launching a franchise, the plug would have been pulled on that. The normal give and launching take. Launching a of, network. Yeah, launching again. a network, yeah. a streaming platform. But yeah. normally, when something is troubled, it's like cut the plug. Uh, we're not going to waste, you know, no more money down a rat hole, kind of a thing. Um, and uh, a, a lot of people, Larry, have comments about um, the Enterprise theme song, the song that they stole <laughs> from Patch Adams. Oh, you the, could? Do you have that? The there original Rod Stewart uh, song. Yeah, you know, I love the Enterprise intro. It's one <laughs> of the most beautiful intros, I think. Um, the visuals, but the music. Yeah, you know, they. Um, <sighs> <laughs> it takes a long time to get over, but um, once you do, the theme song kind of, uh, it's kind of catchy. It's now this joke that I do with my friends. Um, uh, when, like, when someone says something about, like, oh, it's such a long road or something like that, uh, we'll start singing, it's been a long road getting from here to there. And then you have the up, the more upbeat version there of it. To- here from there to, well, i'm totally getting everything wrong because i need more sorry coffee. if i was gatekeeping you there no, because... <laughs> <laughs> you know the, there was a, a desire to have a boy band in the mess hall of enterprise from studio execs so it's um and you were talking about the troubled launch of season one of star trek discovery voyager very much had a troubled launch the original I, well, vision yeah. of the show you know, Larry, we were talking about that. The original vision was like 
the Maquis Starfleet storyline was something that was going to play out over many seasons. Who's in charge of the ship? It was going to be up in the air. Year of Hell was going to be a whole season long arc. And well, they here the I let's distinguish it real fast because people have just seen that story this last yeah. couple of days from Brian. Yeah. The Year of Hell was a pitch idea that got shot down before it ever went. But yeah. months and months and months of the DNA of the show was about the Maquis Starfleet. I mean, they had Next Gen and DS9 set up just so you could have the Maquis storyline. The Maquis on Next Gen and DS9 are only there because of yep. Voyager. Yep. I don't yep. know if everybody understands that or not. Yeah. But all, especially on DS9, there's no, there would be no Maquis if that wasn't a concept to launch Voyager. So, and, and, and then you, and you gotta remember that. And have a, have a, have a tin pot little network saying, but it's Star Trek. They're all supposed to be noble and heroic. You can't have conflict like that. Yep. And they set all this up for months and then they're told to whitewash it and vanillaize it. And yeah. And this is where, um, you know, I didn't talk about this in the counselor's log, but motivated <laughs> reasoning can really help us to understand what's going on here, which is a very simple idea about um, people hold perspectives based upon people hold perspectives and beliefs based upon their motivations. So the motivation behind Star Trek Voyager and Discovery are very similar that they were launching networks, they were launching UPN, they were launching CBS All Access. Whereas the next generation and Deep Space Nine, there was no studio in the same way. They were syndicated. And so you didn't have studio executives who are motivated to launch <laughs> this thing that will bring in a lot of new people. It, it, the next generation and, and Deep Space Nine, they could be their own thing without all of these other things <clears throat> like 2009 too, the Star Trek film. They all had to bring in a giant audience, which means it, it has to look different. It has to feel different. It has to be more mainstream. So, you know, motivations like why are people making this thing? What are the motivations? We kind of have to understand that to understand the Star Trek that that eventually came out of all this. Which is one thing that the fallow years gave to me was I realized about five years in that so much of the Trek audience out there didn't understand a lot of this. And it's two, so two of my memes over the years have been the eternal pendulum. Like Gene insisted on having control. He didn't want to live on the now we say it's on the bubble. Like, are we canceled? Or are we not canceled? And that's what the original series was from day one. And the, you know, the save campaigns and all of that. He didn't want to go through that. He wanted the freedom. And it was a, a mark of clout. Oh, here's a producer with a product and enough clout in his name that we've given him this much space. We're not going to hang him every, you know, make him live week to week worrying if he's on the bubble or not. So what came out of the reaction to the network years became the syndication model. Well, we'll just do it ourselves. And Paramount invested in it. They didn't know they were going to revolutionize syndication and create a thing and be the big and be bigger than a lot of network shows. They used to run industry ads that showed how they were better rated than Roseanne and Monday Night Football. I mean, that was that was next gen at its height. Yeah. And then DS9 was the beneficiary of that same model. And Voyager was actually going to be syndicated too until the UPN, you know, yeah. the the decision to launch the network was over here, and they like. Well, what do we have? Oh, we have Star Trek. Well, quick, let's go with the Star Trek. Like as we saw with uh, with Star Trek: The Motion Picture, as was going to happen saw with, with 2009. The original new network was going to yeah. be the first Paramount network, and the Phase Two series that became two. Motion Picture yeah. was yeah. going to be the same thing. It's what's our biggest? What's our crown jewel? Star Trek. Lead with that. 
Larry, we have to mention Stephen Nemechek, who's saying before the show wraps up, I'd like a big shout out and a big hello, Uncle Larry. It's been a great episode to watch. You have to give me advice on which series to first share with our new addition to the Nemechek family someday. He's a new dad. He just had, um, yes. There's like one one thread of male members. If I can be paternalistic for a second, there's one branch in our greater family that's having males and it's gone through my brother and through him. And now, yes, little, little Lewis, we'll have to, we'll have to have him be a cadet someday. But anyway, yeah, be happy um, to be happy to consult. Uh, Heather's back at it. Hello again, Heather. Um, I've learned that the movement's motivation of production behind what we see as an end product can often be the cause of why something seems so bad from my point of view. Absolutely, absolutely. Welcome uh, to Trekland, Heather. This yeah, is what I this is what Larry. About. This is what yeah. Larry talks about all the time, and it can also help to just um, uh, put on, uh, put a little bit of the brakes on the intense emotions that we might experience. Mm-hmm. You know, J.J. Abrams. We were talking about this other day, uh, Larry, in our pre-show. Um, J.J. Abrams famously went on The Daily Show and said he was never John interested. Stewart. On, on, on John Stewart, he was never interested in Star Trek as a kid. He loved Star Wars. He said Star Trek's too intellectual. And John Stewart, like, almost spit out his water. It was like, are you serious? But he did bring in these other, this uh, Supreme Court of Star Trek with different levels of fandom. And I think you're right. And um, they brilliantly launched a parallel universe, which didn't undo what happened before, which if it was up to J.J. Abrams himself, maybe that's what it, they would have done. They would have just made a new movie in canon and not have to do with all the gymnastics of creating this other universe. Um, so thank you, Larry, for, for this episode. I love this topic. Um, we could spend so much time talking about it. And we did... Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thepsychshow. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone.